Good afternoon. Thank you for being here. Uh, we'll continue with the reading from Sri Jiva Goswami's Krishna Sandarbha. Um, as we ended up in the last discussion uh, for six Anuchetas, uh, Jiva Goswami is going to point out uh, a few verses from the Bhagavatam that uh, are representative or they're like echoes. They basically contain the, the significance uh, of the Pariva Sutra uh, in the verses themselves. So, he began this subject at the very end of the 74th Anucheta. Uh, so, such an Orion Das Babaji, he, he basically starts a new uh, area of his book uh, with the very last portion of that 74th Anucheta. We read this in the last class, I'll just repeat it, bears repeating. Um, so Jiva Goswami writes here, other statements are also found that function like representatives of this declaration, Krishna's to Bhagavan Swayam, uh, such as their eighth child was indeed Hari himself from the ninth canto, Astamastu Tayur Astit, Swayameva Harikila, Subhadra Cha Mahabhaga, Tava Rajan Pitamahai. Uh, the word Kila uh, from the second, the end of the second uh, line of that verse, in this verse indicates that this statement, Krishna's to Bhagavan Swayam, is well known. Consequently, Hari in this verse means Bhagavan himself. This too was confirmed by Sri Sukha. And then he quotes another verse, this verse from the 10th canto. Bhagavan himself, the Supreme Person, appeared in the house of Vasudev. Vasudeva Grihe Saksad, Bhagavan Purusha Para, Janisyate Tat Priyartham, Sambhavantu Su Striya. I'm sorry, Sura Striya. So, he begins this topic, the commentator says, with two examples of statements that are to be taken as direct representatives of the emperor's statement. And are the emperor's statement of the Srimad Bhagavatam is Krishna's to Bhagavan Swayam. In the first of these statements, Sukha says that the eighth son of Devaki and Vasudev Krishna was Hari himself, Swayam Hari. Both of those terms are in the verse. Um, Hari is Bhagavan, and thus the expression Swayam Hari signifies that Krishna is Swayam Bhagavan. So when we say Bhagavan, or a manifestation of the Supreme Lord that has all these major qualities, uh, Bhaga, uh, basically counted as six, although uncountable, but six major uh, qualities, 
strength, wealth, fame, beauty, knowledge, and renunciation. There are many manifestations of the Supreme Lord that have these, that display these qualities um, in fullness, Bhaga. So Bhagavan. Um, and even we find sometimes uh, even empowered representatives of the Lord are referred to as Bhagavan, like Bhagavan, you know, Narda. Uh, Bhagavan Nishringa, of course, is a manifestation of the Lord. The distinct, distinguishing factor here is both these terms uh, are in the verse Swayam and Hari. So, therefore, Jiva is pointing out this is representative of the main statement Krishna is through Bhagavan Swayam. Uh, Swayam Hari signifies that Krishna is Swayam Bhagavan. The indeclinable Kila is used in this verse in the sense of definitiveness. Can't argue with this. This is there. Now, we'll find as we go through these few representative statements that you could say, well, this is a stretch. You know, Jiva's really, you know, is this just word jugglery? But he's showing, well, you could, you might want to look at it that way, but you shouldn't look at it that way because here's here's the way it should be looked at. Now, what are we, we were just completed a whole section on hermeneutics. What does that mean? The method of interpretation. So we're studying here from an expert master as if you want to have an interpretation of Shastra that is solid, that is significant, that can be seen in and itself as praman. Praman means evidence. So when we sit before the guru, we expect that he's going to present spiritual knowledge that, that is what? That is a praman in itself. The presentation itself is praman, meaning that it's evidence. The guru says it, and I accept it as the absolute truth. He is a representative of Krishna. This is where we get to the point of the significance of actually taking time, care, and attention to selecting someone who's fully qualified as a guru. And specifically as our Shiksha guru. Diksha guru, someone who can imply, you know, impart the mantra and explain how to do the, you know, to count. That's one thing. But Really, the significance of guru is is the instruction. What what is he speaking? And we've oft quoted this verse by Vishwanath that hearing from the guru we have is hearing from a devotee, and we respect all devotees. But hearing from a devotee um, affects us differently based on the qualification. Of the person that we're hearing from. So to just hear from a devotee who's not yet himself or herself risen through the stages 
of the gradual stages as outlined by Rupa Goswami of spiritual advancement to the stage where they're actually at least tasting ruchi, asakti, they're actually conceiving of a relationship and 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 are able to conceive of the personality of Godhead and then of course bhava and praying. So when the when a devotee actually has come to these higher stages, has gone beyond an Nivriti, is at the stage of Nista, and then the taste develops, and from that taste, uh, a Sakti, uh, some connection, uh, and then Bhava, what to speak of praying. When, when a devotee's reached this stage, they can really touch our heart. They can really affect, in a very positive way, um, our spiritual life. They can give us true nourishment. And because they're on these higher stages of spiritual advancement, they can pull us, they can draw us up to those stages very quickly. So... Association is, is so important and, and taking care to follow the instructions of the Goswamis, uh, specifically those given by Rupa Goswami, which is our uh, Abhideya. He's like the, the master of how you do it. How do you do your devotional service? So he's given us Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. He's given us uh, Upadeshamrita. In the Upadeshamrita, he's carefully said this is the way that we interact with with different devotees so we for those most advanced we respect any devotee any devotee that's coming and chanting the lord's holy name is due all respect someone that's that's even has any remote connection with the lord's holy name is exalted in the world of man uh what to speak of one who's actually made some commitment some connection and accepted formal initiation. They're due our, our obeisance, you know. Um, then, of course, the more advanced devotees, you can see in their character and their understanding of the philosophy, uh, we want to hear from these people. We want to hear from, from someone who actually has the grasp and what to speak of hearing from the most qualified of devotees who can draw us up through the stages very quickly, just just by hearing from them uh, in a, in a in a regulated way, um, then it's 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 superlative. So those you know that that sangha, prasangha. There's regular sangha, and then there's Prasanga. The prasanga is that advanced devotee who can pull us up uh, to their stage. Despite the fact that we don't have any qualification like that, immediately we're able to grasp these deep concepts of spirituality. Immediately, by being in their association, uh, advancement through anartha nivriti, going beyond our own personal hang-ups or hang-ons, I guess, would be a better way to say it. So getting beyond those hang-ons, 
uh, in their association is much easier. So, and hearing from other devotees is good. It's bhajana kriya. It's like having kirtan. It's it's good for us. But when it comes to when it comes to who, where we take shelter and where we hear, um, some discrimination should be there on our part. But our discrimination shouldn't be in a such a way that it creates a disturbance. But that's a whole other thing. We see that in large organizations. So my guru, you're not hearing from my guru. You have no chance. This isn't. This is not a Vaishnav attitude. <laughs> to ourselves, we could say, my guru's the only one that's really that I really feel something in his classes. These other gurus, uh, you know, not so much, but. Still, I'm respectful to all Vaishnavas. So that when we come to scriptural interpretation and to accepting praman or evidence, accepting the evidence of the speaker as noteworthy and accepting his spiritual position as exemplar, both in character and in knowledge, his position is such that everything that comes from his mouth we accept as praman. That's unique. It's not a stretch because we we can we can feel in his presence this deeper understanding. So we have to to some extent and of course we go before the guru and we doubt so it's not that we're following blindly it's not what the the guru is uh, you know telling us what to think he's teaching us how to think how to think spiritually how to relate with the world spiritually how to relate with devotees spiritually on the spiritual platform without taking taking the association into the mud and the mire of our own attachments and looking th at things through through a vision that could, can still be influenced by our imperfect senses and our, our being illusioned, uh, um, misrepresentational bias, our tendency to cheat. So when we... When we go down into that area and we look at devotees through that vision, that's detrimental. We can understand, we should at least be able to recognize it in our own viewpoint. Wait a minute, why am I thinking this way? Why am I not thinking the best? What to speak of vocalizing it? So at least we start, we start by we just don't, when there's, when there's some, Room for confrontation, refrain from confrontation. Keep your opinion to yourself. That's a beginning. That's a beginning of avoiding situations that can lead what is an, an anartha. Our material baggage is just an anartha. It's not going to interfere with our spiritual progress. Anarthas fall away naturally as we advance. But if we start to view the Sangha of devotees through the lens of our Anarthas, then 
such a viewpoint can turn into operad. And that operad begins with, of course, thinking. We think, we, we think the wrong way. Well, okay, let's stop it. If you can stop it there, that's great. If it goes to the verbal platform, that's more of a problem because once you vocalize, you know, your you know, sentiments that may not be conducive to, to a, a sense of true humility and association of Vaishnavs, when you do that, then there's every possibility that, you know, you, that's, it's an obstacle. It's a real obstacle to our advancement. It's, it's, and that offense, well, it can come up to the physical level. It happens. <laughs> I could tell you stories of it happening. <laughs> of course, I came from a from a from a very different time in a different atmosphere uh, of uh, very passionate devotees at the beginning of their lives. So there were some unique situations at that time, and they sometimes rose to the physical level. But and we have the the story. What is it, Brigu Muni? Uh, Brigu Muni was was sent to to test. I forget who sent him, um, but you can look up the pastime, or I can look it up. But try to relay it after reading it in the class uh, in the future. But he basically was sent to test the various Guna avatars. So the Guna avatars are those that are in charge of the three modes of material nature, goodness, passion, and ignorance. And they're all representatives, avatars, means that they're all representatives of the Supreme in the capacity of material administration. But anyway, he went to, uh, I think he began with, uh, with Shiva, and he didn't, who's in charge of the mode of ignorance. And in, when he went to visit Shiva, he, uh, he didn't show him proper respect, like offering obeisances or something to that extent. And Shiva became angry at him because, don't you know who? I'm Shiva, you, you're coming here. And then he went to, to uh, Brahma. And he uh, offended Brahma with his words. So his first offense was more of a mental offense. He didn't offer respects in his mind to Shiva. And uh, of course, that would have been followed up by a, the action. Um, and then he went to Brahma and he, he offered, he actually offended him verbally. And he went and Brahma got mad. Well, this is this Shiva can't be the highest. Brahma can't be the highest. He went to Vishnu, and Vishnu he actually, well, he kicked Vishnu on the chest, uh, and because of that, Vishnu said, "I'm so sorry. Is your foot hurt?" Uh, I, 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 you know, he didn't take any offense. It was like you're a Brahmin. You just, I deserve to be kicked by a Brahmin. This is the greatest blessing upon me. You didn't hurt yourself, did you? My chest is sometimes hard. So, 
I forget what the reaction to Brigu was, but Lakshmi wasn't very pleased with him. I couldn't find it online. Yeah, anyway. So, the point I'm making here in this long-winded introduction to these few verses is you could think in your mind, well, Jiva's stretching. This is a stretch. He's going out here and he's pulling these verses in. And maybe I don't agree with his justifications that this has to be Swayam Bhagavan because, you know, it's not as profound as the Parivasutra Krishna stu Bhagavan Swayam. That's like, you know, and here's Vishnu kind of like saying, well, this also is an echo of that in this way or that. But no, you also have to remember who you're hearing from. And if there's anybody that's qualified to arrive at the proper hermeneutic conclusion, right? The praman from the all the factors that make something, uh, that make any statement within a literature have any significant bearing on the intent of the author of the literature, who's more qualified than Jiva? So, when we read these explanations, when we read these verses, we should not be so quick to say, wait a minute here, I, that's, that's kind of a stretch. No, it's not a stretch. Jiva is the expert. He knows. The fact that maybe the conveyance from Sanskrit to this language, but more than even the conveyance of the language, because we do have a pretty expert author here also, is maybe it's just something in my own that I'm not able to immediately latch on to the point that Jeeva is making here in a way that I'm seeing it as an as a as of as much significance that he's placing upon it. We should see more that if there's any lacking, certainly not coming from Jiva, I would say there's no lacking. There's certainly lacking on the part of the speaker. This we will accept, but still, um, we, should, we should look at things in, in that way when we're, when we're, when we're seeing statements such as these. So the word saksat means direct or without any intervention. In the present context, it conveys the same meaning as the word swayam. Uh, here again, he's, he's explaining the second verse. Bhagavan himself, the supreme person, appeared in the house of Vasudev. Hmm. So now that we'll kind of go through these verses, uh, we'll, we'll cover a few anuchedas, uh this evening, uh, making up for the multi-evenings and afternoons that we spent on that one 74th anucheda. So we'll go to the 75th. Again, a representative statement. Aho bhagyam, aho bhagyam, nanda gopa vrajakasam, yad mitram paramanandam, 
Purnam Brahma Sanatanam. In a similar manner, Brahma also prayed to Bhagavan, Jiva writes here. How fortunate, how fortunate are the residents of Nanda's cowherd community of Braj, for their dear friend is Sri Krishna, the eternal complete Brahman, who is the embodiment of supreme bliss. Wow, so many super superlatives in this statement by Brahma. But Jiva points out this one. Although the superlative degree of greatness, Brahatmatva, Brahat, Tamatva of Krishna is already indicated by mentioning of his Brahmanhood, Brahmatva, the addition, additional, the additional adjective Purnam, complete, is the basis of the conclusion that he is Swayam Bhagavan. This is interesting. Um, so I'm just going to read the whole commentary. In this verse, Brahma addresses Sri Krishna as Brahman and qualifies this term with the adjectives complete, Purnam, eternal, Sanatanam, and the embodiment of supreme bliss, Paramanandam. Sri Jiva comments that in accordance with its etymological meaning, what's its meaning, its core meaning of the word, not contemporary, but when they put the word together, when they put the letters together and, and came up with the word, what was that? What's that historic, significant meaning that that the word has? Um, the word Brahman itself signifies the superlative degree, degree of greatness. Nothing's greater than Brahman. Brahatmatva. Uh, this is to say that Brahman is unlimited by its very nature. When further qualified by the word Purnam, wait, we're going to qualify Brahman by saying the complete Brahman? Yeah, but Jeeva's, but the, you know, when we further qualify the word Brahman by Purnam, Brahman refers to Swayam Bhagavan, who is the embodiment of the culmination of Brahmanhood. So, if we're going to take Brahman, wait, you're putting a hood on Brahman? Well, the Advaitins might take issue with that. You can't qualify Brahman as complete. It's already complete. But Jiva's saying here, that if you qualify Brahman and the Brahman hoodedness, what is the most, you know, <laughs> who's the king of the hood of Brahman <laughs> in the colloquial <laughs> sense, then that has to be Krishna. There's, there's no one else. 76th Anucheta. No one is equal, equal or superior to Krishna. Therefore, Sri Uddhava instructed Vidura. So, if you remember the context, uh, Krishna's left. And somehow, they, like, by divine providence, Vidura and Uddhava met up. And of course, what's the first thing Vidura is going to say to Uddhava? 
Haribo, how's it going? How's Krishna? How's Krishna's family? How's everybody? How's the whole Yadu clan? Why you're traveling outside of Dwarka? Please tell me how's everything? How's everything? It, and Krishna's just left. So Uddhava's like, what what could I say here? I mean, how can I tell him that Krishna's disappeared? But it's all written all over his face. You know, he's just in a, in a state of total, total dejection because he wanted to leave too. What do you, Krishna said, no, you can't leave because I didn't get everything done that I wanted to get done. And there's no one except you who I can entrust to do this one unaccomplished task on my behalf. You need to go to Nara Narayan and, uh, and converse with them on my behalf. So Uddhava's doubly dejected because he's not been allowed to leave with Krishna. You can't come with me. I'm leaving and you can't come. I've taken all the other Yadus. I've taken all the other queens. I even had to steal some queens that were under Arjun's protection. I stole them, took them back to Galoka. So I'm going and you're not. I need you to stay. So this is the this is basically the setup to the discussion here between Vidura and Uddhava and Uddhava's and I I'm uh, Vidura and Uddhava and Vidura's questioning him. So Uddhava responds, but he himself the Supreme Master of the Trinity, how he could speak even is just unimaginable, <laughs> is unequaled and unsurpassed by any way, anyone. The totality of his will is always already fulfilled by virtue of his own intrinsic supreme opulence. Indeed, his footrest is venerated by the clashing sound of millions of crowds as the immortal guardians of the spheres bow down before him while bringing him their offerings. So Jiva writes here, and this is interesting, he's going to bring out some meaning, again, interpretation. How should this clanging of the helmets at the footrest of the Supreme Lord how, what, what helmets? Who's wearing the helmets? Inquiring minds would want to know, wouldn't they? So what, what is Uddhava talking about here? So Jiva Goswami gives his interpretation of which helmets. Others could arrive at a very different understanding. So that's brought out and that's that's the significance of this Anucheta. So Jiva writes, the compound, a Samyatissaya, who is unequaled and unsurpassed, means that no one is his equal or superior to him. 
The reasons for this are stated as follows. He is the supreme master of the Trinity, Triadisa, meaning that he is the Lord even of the threefold manifestations of Sankarshan, Sankarshan, Prajumna, and Aniruddha, because he is the complete whole, Amsi, of which all others are but the parts, Amsas. As a result, the totality of all enjoyment is always already attained by him solely by virtue of his own intrinsic opulence in the form of the all-exceeding supreme bliss. Then Jiva goes on. The word balim, an offering, refers to the honor accorded him in the form of submission to his will. So he's basically, he's really explaining what this verse spoken by uh, Uddhava to Vidura, let me unpack it a little bit for you. So he's unpacked the first part uh, and showing that he is, you know, he's the master of the Trinity and then his interpretation of the Trinity is not goodness, passion, and ignorance. It's of the Chaturvyuha. He's the master of Sankarshan, Prajubna, and Aniruddha. He goes on, the word balim is an offering, refers to the honor accorded him in the form of submission to his will. The word haradibi, I'm sorry, haradbi, by those who deliver such an offering means by those who submit it to him. The latter are specified as the immortal guardians of the sphere, Chira Loka Palai. So now Jiva gives a very unique explanation of this terminology, Chira Loka Palai, because generally one would easily think Chira Loka, the people that runs the spheres, well, there's 14 divisions of planetary systems and there's a demigod in charge of every one of those divisions. From the point of view of Bhagavan, though, Jiva writes, wait a minute, let's look at it, let me take you to a higher level of understanding. From the point of view of Bhagavan, Brahma and others like him are only temporary guardians of the spheres. Achira, not Chira, they're Achira, Lokapala, because they are not eternal. Consequently, it is the eternal guardians of the planetary systems, namely the indwelling Purushas of the unlimited material universes by whom his footrest is venerated, Aiditam, meaning that the praises of his footrest are sung by the clashing sound of millions of didams, Karita Koti, as they bow before him. So for Jiva to simply say that the crowns that, that Uddhava is talking about are the crowns of demigods, us, no. Demigods aren't, a, aren't on a level where the class, you know, where let's, let's take this to the real meaning. The meaning is actually all of the Vishnu manifestations within every universe that 
comes from the pores of Karna Dakshai Vishnu. Unlimited Garbo Dakshai Vishnus are the masters of those universes and all the planetary systems within them. That's what's being said here by Uddhava. Those are the P, those are the personalities who, when their helmets clash at the footrest of Vishnu, of Krishna, when their helmets clash, then there is a profound praising from that clashing of Krishna's position. Here, by the figurative self, Dwani, which overrides the primary meaning, Krishna's supremacy above all is what is being suggested. In some editions of the Bhagavad, we find the compound, and then he says, the totality of all that is approached or desired in place of samastakama, the totality of his will. In that case as well, the meaning is identical. Jiva goes on. He's really making this point because he's gone out of the realm of the conventional understanding here. So, um, from the context, but he, this is Jiva said, now he's, he's justifying it. From the context, it is understood that Sri Krishna is the substantive, the subject of this verse. Here the word swayam too, but he himself signifies that he alone is, the, is of the nature being described, and this indicates that he indeed is swayam Bhagavan, just as stated in the Emperor Shruti. Krishnastu Bhagavan Swayam. So this is this is interesting because Jiva's justifying his his use of a dwani. Okay, a dwani is a figurative. He's taking a figurative interpretation as more significant and uh, than the the normal than the norm that would be accepted from what's clearly stated by Uddhava. So he's going out on a limb here. He's saying, no, if we're talking about Krishna, we're talking about clashing helmets at his footrest. This is not demigods. This is Krishna. You know, and because it's Krishna, let's look at it in the, in the, in the grandest of presentations, in the grandest way. And in the grandest way, we can become a little figurative in our understanding. And therefore, this is my justification. I'm not going to take just, uh, just the conventional primary meaning of the words themselves. Krishna's uh, fullness compared to the moon. So now he's going to go on and give another representative statement of the Parivas Sutra. Krishna's completeness, Purnatvam, is also shown by way of an example, as in the words of Sri Sukha. Now he goes back to the 10th canto, and he quotes the following sloka. Mm. Just as the full moon arises in the east, the indweller of all beings, Bhagavan Vishnu, manifests himself 
through Devaki, who possesses a divine form. The word Yathad, just as, as interpreted by Shridhar, means as he is, Yathavat, in his own intrinsic being, being Swarupena Eva. So Krishna is the complete Bhagavan. Doesn't get any more complete than Swayam Bhagavan. Um, he's the full manifestation and if we look to this verse that uh, Sutta Dev Goswami has spoken here, his use of the word moon should be seen as when all the phases of the moon are complete in the moon. In other words, the moon and all the phases. Now, when we have the moon and we have the phases of the moon, then what happens to us pure, uh, us poor jivas on the, uh, under the influence of the moon? Well, we're in, we're influenced by those phases of the moon in different ways, supposedly. If we are, at least that's the uh, astrological understanding, is it not? that the phases of the moon affect different people in different ways. and um, So, what's being brought out here, though, by this verse is when you have the complete moon and the influence of all its phases together, that's what we mean by the full moon of Krishna, that he fully, he fully informs uh, and, and benedicts us with all, with all of that uh, completely. By extending the analogy to Krishna, the implication is that he is complete with all his colors or his potencies because the different partial faces of the moon are, interestingly enough, are also referred to as colors. The indeclinable yatha is used to compare one thing to another. So when we hear yatha, the verse, whereas yathavat means as it is. No comparison necessary. It's so taking the word yatha in the latter sense, Jiva's taking a little liberty again, we would say, wait, it just says yatha, it doesn't say yathavat, you know. But he's taking the word in its most profound meaning here as expressed in the verse by Sukadev Goswami. Taking the word Yatha in the latter sense indicates that Vishnu appeared from Devaki exactly as he is and not in some lesser form. Just as the full moon appears as it is, so also Bhagavan appeared as he is in the fullness of his own intrinsic being. So this section has two more Anuchedas in support of the Parivas. All right, we'll stop there. I thank you so much for your association.